The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show. Hey everyone, this is Mindy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Old Time Radio. Next up on The Big Show, we're at episode 35. This one aired November 18th, 1951. We have someone who has not been here before and will not be here again. And he's a really, really big deal. At least to me. I know he will be for you too. It's Yule Brenner. <laughs> Yay. I was so excited. Like, ah, like he just lives so concretely in my mind as Ramses in the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and I know for everyone else, the other big one is, you know, the king and I. Arena and the King, the movie version. But for me, he's Ramses. It's my yearly tradition to make my family sit and watch as much as the Ten Commandments as they can possibly stomach when it airs on TV. And the only parts I know my mom truly enjoys is when Yul Brenner shows up looking like Yul Brenner. <laughs> so he is that guy. I didn't even know how to start to condense this life of his into something that could be told in just a couple of minutes. But he, to summarize it, he is that guy. Like every, I think everybody has like that one person that you either know personally or that you've heard of. And they're just cool. They're good at everything. They've traveled the world. They were more cultured than you by the time they were five years old. Like they just, he's that guy. I knew he was cool. I didn't know he was this cool. So in the beginning, <laughs> God created Yul Brenner. The universe, somebody created Yul Brenner. And it was good. But no, he was born in Russia to a wealthy Swiss-Russian family. They were landowners and silver mining developers. So it was big money. He was, you know, raised in a mansion for the first years of his life. Until the end of the Russian Civil War, when his family's wealth was seized and nationalized, they were stripped of home ownership. They were allowed to stay in their home on a temporary basis, but all of that was enough for the family to emigrate to China. He and his older sister, you know, started going to school in China. And at 10 years old, as a gift from his father, he received a guitar. His sister was a trained singer. And he started studying classical and contemporary music and mastering the guitar in singing. And so war, at least the fear of war, found them in China as well. There was a fear China and Japan would start in some kind of a war. And so the family moved again, this time to Paris. And in his teen years... He started singing cabaret and playing guitar. He joined a French circus troupe, trained as a trapeze acrobat, but injury led him to have to quit. And it was the start of an abuse of prescription drugs, narcotics. And by 17, the family had to kind of intervene with the fact that he was addicted to pills. In the course of all of that, he started making friends in the bohemian Parisian artist scene. Friends included Picasso, Dali, Marcel Marceau. I mean, do you see already this person is not even 20 years old? <laughs> like how cool Yul Brenner was. So from there, that's where acting came in. He started taking acting lessons and his mother in particular just saw how happy he was acting 
And so they really leaned into that. By 1941, he speaks very little English. He's in America. By the end of the same year, he's debuting on Broadway in Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. That's where he learned English, really. He knew enough to kind of get started, but being on Broadway in Shakespeare stuff is where he really <laughs> learned English. Still early 20s, this kid. He had already picked up French, Japanese, Hungarian, and Russian, so he's on his fifth language when he starts learning English. All of this gets interrupted by World War II, and so he had to put a halt to his acting career. Everybody had to put a halt to everything, right? And so he spent a couple of years delivering war propaganda in French and Russian at the Voice of America radio station, and that was his contribution to the war effort. And then in the late 40s, he actually began directing and had to be convinced to even go back to acting, and that was to audition for The King and I. And, of course, he landed the role of King Monkut. I probably said that wrong. But he played that role 4,000 265 times on stage. He won a Tony for Best Featured Actor for that role. He won a special Tony a couple decades later for a revival. He won an Oscar for that role in 1956, Anna and the King. And it was during this time of playing this role, he shaved his head. And that's how everybody grew to knew him. And so he just shaved it for basically the rest of his life. People wouldn't have really... Well, maybe not the rest of his life, but for years and years, he shaved his head just because that's how people knew him. 1956 comes my personal favorite, Ramses II in the Ten Commandments. Uh, he was also in Anastasia, but by the time of the mid-50s, he is the most in-demand star in Hollywood. I would imagine this appearance in 1951, anybody who followed Broadway would know exactly who he is. I imagine he is at least familiar to audiences if nothing else, because he's so unique looking and has such a commanding presence, but mostly because of The King and I. He even attempted comedy in his later years, didn't really work out. So there was a couple of things he couldn't do. He is funny though. And you'll hear it a little bit here. Um, his laugh is really cute. His natural laugh. It's cute. Westerns worked for him though in the 60s. Magnificent Seven and Return of the Seven. He was an active photographer and wrote two books. One of the things that he wanted to do, like the very last thing he could do really for anyone, he died from lung cancer in 1985. And before his death, he worked with the American Cancer Society to create a PSA that aired nationwide uh, shortly after he died. And he looks into the camera and says, quote, now that I'm gone, I tell you don't smoke. Whatever you do, just don't smoke. If I could take back that smoking, we wouldn't be talking about any cancer. I'm convinced of that, end quote. So even with his literal probably last breaths that he could take, he was giving a dramatic performance with lasting impact. I'm sure he convinced at least somebody to not smoke. And so it, I was excited to see his name. I've been chippering on about this, <laughs> you know, for a few minutes now. If you love Yul Brenner, I was really kind of loving that this even exists. In 2022, someone started a podcast to celebrate Yul Brenner's film career, and it's called Here's Looking at Yul, Kid. 
And this isn't just some nerd like me, just like, oh my gosh, I love them in the Ten Commandments. No, this is like somebody who has access to people like Ron Howard. <laughs> so, like Opie, director Ron Howard, uh, is on one of the episodes of Here's Looking at Yole Kid. So check that out if you want to hear a whole lot more about Yole Brenner and his legacy in film. But yeah, there are obviously a whole lot of other people other than Yul Brynner on this show, but he, he, it's the, uh, the laser focus for me. I was waiting the whole episode for him to show up and he didn't disappoint. So from November 18th, 1951, here is Ramses II, <laughs> Yul Brynner in the big show. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show, the first half hour presented by the makers of Reynolds Aluminum, the Reynolds Metals Company, and starring the glamorous, unpredictable Tallulah Bankhead. For the next hour and 30 minutes, you will be entertained by some of the biggest names in show business. Such bright stars as... Fred Allen. Shirley Booth. Yul Brynner. Molly Goldberg. Rosalie Goldberg. Portland Hoffa. Jack Pearl. Cliff Hall. Maxine Sullivan. Meredith Wilson. And my name, darling, is Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> Well, darling, before we get our show underway, I just want to take one small moment out of something personal. It says here for, I'm sorry, uh, for something personal. Sitting in the audience this evening is a beautiful 82-year-old lady who came all the way up from Alabama just to see this show. She is my Aunt Marie, the historian of the state of Alabama. Where are you, sweetie? Oh, there you are. God bless you, darling. <laughs> 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 a true bankhead through and through 82 years old I wonder how old she really is <laughs> 82, isn't that a coincidence? Our age is just reversed <laughs> <laughs> And when she's 92, they'll still be reversed <laughs> Oh, what a time my beloved Aunt Marie has had seeing New York I couldn't find her man, 82 so I finally got her to a 41. <laughs> then I went along with her. <laughs> but my big problem was getting her a ticket for the show. Of all things, can you imagine? Tickets are a problem every week. The guest stars grab up as many as they can, five to this one, six to that one, eight to another one, and so on. And you know why they want so many tickets. It's nice to have friends in the theater to applaud for them, you know. Oh, actors, you know, darling, they're such children. Well, anyway, before I knew Aunt Marie was coming to town, I'd given away my 800 tickets. <laughs> and so I began by phoning some of the guests on this week's big show. First, I called Fred Allen and asked him if he had any tickets left. Oh, I'm sorry, Tallulah. I just burned my last two tickets. Burned them? Yes, I sure did. <laughs> 
You know, the last time I was on your show, I gave two tickets to a friend of mine. Well, he came to the theater with his girl and a small box of candy. Well, the theater was so packed they couldn't get two seats together, so the boy sat in the second row and the girl sat in the 14th row. A fat lady in the 10th row sat on the candy. <laughs> it was crunched, so nobody noticed it. Well, halfway, halfway through the show, the girl got lonesome and wrote a note saying, I love you, and signed her name. She asked the man in front of her to pass the note down to the second row to the boy. Well, about halfway down on the sixth row, the lady who had the note poked a man who was asleep and asked him to pass it along. Well, the man woke up, put the note in his pocket, and went right back to sleep again. Well, when he got home, his wife asked him where he'd been, and he was ashamed to tell his wife that he had been to see your show. <laughs> so he showed his wife the note and told her that he had been out with another woman. Well, the wife sued him for divorce. I was named correspondent. She got the TV set, and he can see the installment collector once a month. <laughs> so before I give anybody any more tickets to your show, Tallulah, I will eat them first. Well, maybe Portland has a ticket. Let me talk to her. Hello? Oh, hello, Portie, darling. I want to ask you a favor. Well, just a minute, please. Fred, better sit down and eat your tickets before they get cold. <laughs> now, uh, what is it, Tallulah? Never mind. Next, I decided to call up Maxine Sullivan. Hello, Tallulah. Hello, darling. I'm in a bit of a jam. I need a ticket for the show. Do you have an extra? I didn't get any tickets. Well, darling, I distinctly remember seeing, I mean, sending you three pairs of tickets, Maxine. One pair for you, Maxine, a pair for Laverne, and a pair for Patty. <laughs> now, come on, give me a ticket. I can't. You're thinking of the Andrews sisters. No, I'm not. But after this, I certainly will. <laughs> well, then I tried Jack Pearl. Uh, no, Tallulah, this is Cliff Hall. Do you want to talk to Jack? Yes. I wonder if he has an extra ticket for the show this week. Wait, I'll ask him. Oh, Baron. Yeah, yeah? It's Tallulah Bankhead. She wants to know if you have an extra seat. <laughs> so she noticed it, huh? <laughs> you don't understand. Do you have an extra ticket to the big show? Oh, yeah, sure. I got an extra ticket. Well, would you give it to her? Oh, no, I couldn't do that. Why not? <laughs> what did I do with my extra seat? <laughs> <laughs> well, then I phoned Molly Goldberg. Hello, Mrs. Goldberg. This is Tallulah. Oh, hello, Tallulah, darling. Excuse me one minute. I'll hang Mrs. Kramer. <laughs> oh, you have another phone. Oh, no, my friend in the window. Uh, Mrs. Kramer, I'll talk to you later. My friend Tallulah Lewis hanging on the phone. So I'll you who you later, and if I don't you who you, you you who me. <laughs> Rosalie, darling, please put on your shoes. Don't stand in your feet. Uh, hello, Tallulah, darling. So what was your interrogation? <laughs> well, Molly, darling, I, I, I want to talk to you about tickets to the show. Oh, tickets? Mine, mine, certainly. Certainly, my dear, I'll take a few. You can give me several also. Would I refuse a benefit? <laughs> no, it is not for a benefit. It's for my show. Oh, oh, well, if it's the theater you're worried about filling up, please banish your worries. From my house alone, 1038 East Tremont Avenue, and Rosalie's friends from junior high, and Samley Sonority, and mine PTA, and Hazel Cornmeyer is his customers, and, and, and Uncle David's friends from the Cemetery Lodge, and, 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 and Mr. Goldberg suppresses and finishes, we'll pack you in. Well, I better pack this in. Uh, never mind, Mrs. Goldberg. See you Sunday. And next I call Yul Brenner. I phone him at the theater where he's appearing as the King of Siam in The King and I. Oh, hello. This is Tula Bankhead. Hello, Yul. Oh, Tula Bankhead. Hello, you all. Well, y'all, darling. 
How many tickets you get for the big show? One. Oh, I'm so glad. I need that ticket desperately, Yule. Could you give it to me? Oh, I'm sorry, Doolittle, but I'm giving it to a friend of mine. Oh, darling, you can't give that ticket away. Oh, I know. I, you can't give it away, but I promised him five dollars if you take it off my hands. Well, I had one last chance. Shirley Booth. I phoned her. Oh, I wouldn't give those tickets to anybody, to Lula. Oh, why, darling? You promised them to someone? Oh, no, I'm not giving them to anyone. You know how I feel about you. You're the greatest actress in the theater. I'd be ashamed to let anybody see what you're doing now. <laughs> well, in desperation, I finally got a ticket from our sponsor, the darling Reynolds Metals Company. They always want people to come here and listen to the story of Reynolds Aluminum. That's right, Miss Bankhead. And it's a good story for Thanksgiving because it's about aluminum on the farm. From our great farmlands comes all the bounty we enjoy in this holiday season. And aluminum plays an important part in producing it. Take next Thursday's turkey, for instance. You know, farmers raise more and healthier birds under Reynolds' lifetime aluminum roofing and siding because it reflects heat, keeps poultry and livestock cooler in summer, warmer in winter. Light, strong, rust-proof aluminum makes farm equipment more efficient, longer-lasting. Irrigation systems made of Reynolds aluminum are moved from field to field for bigger crops. Even the nails in the farm workshop are now Reynolds lifetime aluminum nails that never rust. And of course, the modern electrified farm gets its power through aluminum transmission lines. There's a lot to be thankful for in this age of aluminum. Reynolds aluminum. <laughs> Our first guest this evening, ladies and gentlemen, is the creator and star of the Goldbergs. There's obviously only one way to introduce her. You, Mrs. Goldberg. Yes, darling. <laughs> well, Mrs. Goldberg, we finally got you on our show. How does it happen you haven't been with us sooner? Well, Tallulah, dear, I, you know, I've been reading the newspapers of your global travels, how you tripped from London to Paris and Hollywood and back to New York, so I, I was waiting that perhaps one day you'd trip into the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> no, darling, we're not going out of the country anymore this year. <laughs> now, tell me, Mrs. Oh, Goldberg. please, please call me by my maiden name, oh, Molly. Th <laughs> Thank you, Molly. You're very welcome. And, and uh, I'll also call you by your maiden name, Miss Blanket. <laughs> Please, uh, uh, call me Tallulah. Tallulah. Oh, what a beautiful name, Tallulah Blanket. With a name like that, a boy could grow up and be President of the United States. <laughs> and now tell me, Molly, how is everybody at home? Well, at home, darling, I'll tell you. My Jake is still having trouble with the dress business again. And Uncle David, Sally, the doctor, you know, and his wife, they're not conversing with each other at the moment. <laughs> and yes, and, and my Tante Elke, you know, she takes her leg to be baked three times a week to the clinic. <laughs> you, you know, she goes to the clinic. Goes to the clinic for her varicose veins, you know. And then, you know, Rosalind's not eating very modern. She's nibbling on calories. And my family's convalescing now from virus X. But thank God everything is all right. Ma, you dress. You dress, Ma. What, Rosalie? What, what, what did you say? You dress. It's hiking up and back. Rosalie, please, the dress is not hiking. It's me that's hiking. <laughs> Oh, is this Rosalie? Yes, this is my daughter, Rosalie, age 13 years of age. Rosalie, darling, please. This is the Tallulah Banquet, uh, also of an age. 
How do you do, Miss Bankhead? This is a life's ambition realized. It's the greatest thing that's happened to me in all the years of my life. All the years of my life, oh. Listen to your program every Sunday. Oh, really, darling? Oh, without fail. Every Sunday, the whole family sits down in the living room, and I turn on the radio, and when your show is on the air in my house, there's absolutely no talking and no laughing. <laughs> well, thank you, I think. Ma, Ma, you didn't say that right. So why did I say that it was so terrible? Oh, nothing, Ma. Fix your dress What's the matter with my dress? Uh, Tallulah, darling, you like the dress on me? Oh, yes. Oh, mm-hmm. yes, darling. Uh, Mr. Goldberg made it for me special for, for the show. It's an original copy. He, he, made it to, he, he made it to mine own specifications. You think he hugged me too much? Well, he's your husband, you should know. Well, well I, I think he made it very nice. You see, it's a new pattern he just cut. He tries out all the new patterns on me. Oh, you're sort of a test pattern. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. You see, I'm a perfect model. You know, I could walk into any ready-made dress department. It fits me perfectly. I don't even have to be altered. Yeah. <laughs> you see, I am what is known as a perfect stylish stout. You see, and, and if you like this dress, I'll, I'll tell Mr. Goldberg to make one for you. Uh, what kind of a stout are you? <laughs> oh, Black my. velvet. Rosalie, please. Stop mine, please. Uh, Tallulah, I, I mean it. Mr. Goldberg wants to, well, wants to make a dress for you and surprise you. He even told me to bring a dress as a present. But I told him I didn't know what kind of a neckline you wear. I didn't know if you're a, a splunging or, or uh, you see, if you're a choking. Uh, but I, I, I see now. I see. I see, uh, uh-huh. I, I see now. I'll tell him that you're a square. <laughs> Ma, please, Ma. Rosalie, will you stop pleasing me already, please? Little girls should be seen and not heard. On radio, darling. My ambition is to be seen and heard. Miss Bankhead, I want to be a great actress like you. Who doesn't? No. <laughs> now it's an actress. Last year, she wanted to be a nurse like Florence Nightingale. <laughs> Last year, I was a kid, Ma. I'm not a kid anymore, Ma. You always treat me like a kid. Rosalie, please stop kidding me already, please. <laughs> Stop interrupting me, my dear, when I'm talking. Tallulah, uh, maybe to you she'll listen, if you would advise her. Well, Rosalie, you can't just be an actress because you make up your mind you're going to be. You can't just walk out on the stage and act. You can't say to the producer, I'm an actress. But Miss Bankhead... Rosalie, you can't interrupt Miss Bankhead when she's talking. (laughs) I'll tell you what, Rosalie. Why don't you just stick around and watch the show with your mother, and maybe after you've seen actors close up, You'll detest them as much as I do, darling. Now, let me see. Why don't you sit over there by Fred Allen? Fred, will you come over here, please, darling? Yes, Tallulah. (laughs) Fred, I want you to meet Mrs. Goldberg and her daughter, Rosalie. Well, how do you do, Miss? Pleased to meet you, Mr. Allen. Mr. Allen? Who don't know Fred Allen? Star of Stop the Music. Oh, ho, ho, have you got a wrong number? <laughs> now, Rosie, if you sit over there with Fred, I'll bring on our next guest, one of the great song stylists of our time, Miss Maxine Sullivan. <laughs> Miss Sullivan tonight offers us two classic ballads she has made famous. In the modern idiom, brown bird singing, and of course, Loch Loma. Mary's darling, if you please.
tonight There's a little brown bird singing Singing in the hush of the darkness and the dew Singing in the hush of the darkness and the dew Would that his song through the stillness could go away Could go away to you My lonely heart is singing sweeter songs of love than the brown bird ever knew. Sweeter songs of love than the brown bird ever knew. Would that my soul through the stillness could go winging, could go a-winging to you. To you All through the night time My lonely heart is singing Sweeter songs of love Than the brown bird ever Brown birds, love birds, love birds, love birds In the hills in the morning You'll take the high road and I'll take the low road I'll be in Scotland before you But me and my true love will never meet again On the bonny, bonny banks of Loch Lomond Once there on a broad picnic we parted That was when I up and started up the sweet, 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 sweet Sight I'll be in Scotland for you, but me and my true love will never meet again. On the bonny bank, on the bonny, bonny bank, much sweeter songs of love than the brown bird ever If we were to count the memorable performances on Broadway during recent seasons, the list could not be started without the name of Shirley Booth and Come Back, Little Sheba. By the same token, tonight's edition of The Big Show would not be complete if we hadn't persuaded Shirley to do a scene from the show. And here it is, Miss Shirley Booth as Lola, with Martin Lane as her husband, Doc, in the William Inge play, Come Back, Little Sheba. <laughs> Thank you. 
There's still some beans left, Doc. You want them? No, I had enough. You didn't eat much supper. Oh, I, I wasn't hungry. Where'd the flowers come from? Miss Kaufman, she let me pick the lilacs from her garden. She said I could have all I want. Well, that was nice of her. I wonder where little Sheba is, Doc. She was such a cute little puppy, wasn't she? What do you suppose ever happened to her? Do you think she got run over by a truck? Or maybe that old Mrs. Kaufman next door poisoned her. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I'm, um, I'm going into the living room. Wait a minute, I'll come with you. I'll just leave the dishes for a while. Ain't it funny? I gave the house a good clean today and I'm not a bit tired. You'd think after working so hard all day I'd be pooped. Baby, don't use that word. Oh, I'm sorry, Doc. I hear Marie and her boyfriend say it all the time. I thought it was kind of cute. Well, it sounds vulgar. I thought you liked Marie. You never liked having a boarder in the house before she came. I do like her. It's just that you shouldn't try to copy the expressions that the youngsters of today use. Oh, I'm sorry, Doc. I won't say it no more. Marie's going to be awful happy when she sees how I got the house all cleaned up. Why? Well, her best boyfriend's coming here for a visit. I think a young girl should be able to bring her friends home, don't you, Doc? Sure. We, we never used to like to sit around the house because the folks was always there. <laughs> Remember the dances we used to go to, Daddy? Sure. We had good times for a while, didn't we? Yes, baby. Let's have some music, huh, Doc? There ought to be good dance music on now. Oh, that's good. Remember the homecoming dance when Charlie Kettle Camp and I won the Charleston contest? Please, honey, I'm trying to read my newspaper. Remember you got mad at him because he thought he should take me home afterwards? I did not. Oh, yes, you did, Doc. Charlie was all right. You was just jealous. I wasn't <laughs> jealous. Oh, yes, you were. You got jealous every time we went out any place, and I even looked at another boy. Well, that, that was a long time ago. Lots of other boys called me up for dates. Sammy Knight, Hank Biederman, Dutch McCoy. Sure, baby, you were the it girl. I was pretty then, wasn't I, Doc? Remember the first time you kissed me? You were scared as a young girl. You trembled so. We'd been going together almost a year, and you'd always been so shy. And then for the first time that night, you grabbed me and kissed me. There was tears in your eyes, Doc. You said you'd love me forever and ever. Remember? Baby, you've got to forget those things. That was 20 years ago. Are you, are you sorry you married me, Doc? Well, of course not. Why should I be? Well, I mean, having to leave college like that. If you stayed and kept studying, you'd have been a real doctor like you wanted to be. Baby, what's done is done. But it must make you feel bad sometimes to think you had to give up being a doctor and, and you don't have any money like you used to. Let's not talk about it, baby. We should never feel bad about what's past. What's in the past can't be helped. Sure, I might have been a big M.D. today. I, I threw my chances away in other ways, though. I might have made a success in something else if I'd worked at it instead of getting drunk every night. Oh, but you stopped, Doc. 
That took a lot of courage. You've been fine ever since you joined the AAs. When I was locked up at the city hospital, I saw enough to keep me sober for a long time. Let's not talk about it. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to upset you. Do you... You have to go now? I gotta be getting on to the meeting. Oh. Well, what time will you be home? About 11 o'clock. I wish you didn't have to go tonight. I, I, I just get lonesome kind of thinking about things. Made me kind of lonesome. Marie ought to be home soon. But she'll just come in long enough to dress, and then she'll be running out again with some boy. Well, we'll go running out ourselves some night soon, baby. I kind of hate to go to the nightclubs and places like that since I stopped drinking, but some night I'll, I'll take you out to dinner. Oh, will you, Daddy? We get all dressed up and go to the Windermere and have a fine dinner and dance between courses. Yeah, yeah, let's do that, Doc. Because I got some money saved up. I got about $40 out in the kitchen. We can use that. Look, what are we being so serious about? Let's have some music, huh? Come on, Daddy, dance with me. Baby, I... I ah, come on, Doc. We ought to go dancing all the time, Doc. It'd be good for us. Maybe if I danced more, I'd lose some of this fat. I remember, you know, when I used to be able to dance like this all night and never even notice it. Doc, look. Remember the Charleston? Yes, sir, that's my baby. No, sir, I don't mean me. Was that Marie? Yeah, she just came in and went to her room. What did you stop for? Did she look in here? No, why? You think she saw me, Doc? Well, she rushed right to her room. What, what difference does it make? Well, I'd feel silly if she saw me. Why, you're a fine dancer. Well, I'd just feel kind of silly if she saw me. It's, um, it's time for me to go, baby. I have to meet Ed Anders. All right, Daddy. Will you stop by the animal shelter and see if they found little Sheba yet? Yes, I will. I miss her so, Doc. She was such a cute little puppy. Something must have happened to her or she'd be back. We'll find her. Don't wait up for me, baby. Good night. Night, Daddy. And come right home, Doc, and don't take anything. Little Sheba. Come, little Sheba. Come back. Come back, little Sheba. Shirley Booth, bravo. What a great performance. And our thanks to Martin Blaine for a beautiful supporting contribution. Now, don't go away, Shirley. I want to chat with you. Meanwhile, here's a quick cook's tour with the Reynolds Metals Company. Yes, Miss Bankhead. Every cook will be taking a checkup tour around her kitchen between now and Thursday. And what will she see? Reynolds Aluminum. Her pantry shelves gleam with Reynolds Aluminum foil packaging. 
from cereals to cookies, from dried fruits to the breadcrumbs for that turkey stuffing. A refrigerator is built with lots of more efficient, weight-saving, rust-proof aluminum. The freezer compartment, the trays, and crispers. On its aluminum shelves are many famous brand products, including butter, margarine, cheese, packaged in Reynolds aluminum foil. Besides all the things the housewife keeps in her own Reynolds wrap. And aluminum cooking utensils, of course. Aluminum in every work-saving appliance. Take a look around yourself. And remember, all this came about because competition pushed production up and kept price down. Competition by Reynolds. Pioneers of progress through aluminum. We'll be back in a moment, darling, just as soon as I ring my chimes. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. This is The Big Show, Act Two, and here is Tallulah Bankhead talking with Shirley Booth. Shirley, darling, I'd like to ask you a question. Oh, please do. <laughs> well, I, I hope I'm not prying into anything personal, you know, but you do understand. But it's just something I've been meaning to talk to you about. Please do. Well, it's simply this. One season you're a hit in a dramatic show, the next season you're a hit in a musical. Every year you're a hit in something. Oh, darling, how I envy you. You know, with very little encouragement, I could stop speaking to you. Please do. <laughs> but what I'm really trying to say, Shirley, is now that you've conquered Broadway, obviously your next step is Hollywood. Have you ever been to Hollywood, darling? Only on a visit. I, it rained all the time I was there, and after a week I checked out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, darling, everybody in Hollywood is there on a rain check. <laughs> How about you, Tallulah? You did very well on Broadway before you retired. <laughs> retired? I have not retired. I've trod the boards for many years, and soon I will tread them again. I am not retired. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that you're being retired. I mean, you're being retreaded. <laughs> Well, I think I like it better the other way. <laughs> well, what I started to say was, how does it happen that you've never been to Hollywood? But I have been to Hollywood, darling. I was in a royal scandal. Well, I know, but did you ever make any pictures? <laughs> you know, Shirley, I think I like you better when you're not yourself. I mean, when you're playing that divine character you play in A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Uh, what's her name again? Oh, you mean Sissy. <laughs> oh, yes. That's the character that cures me. <laughs> exactly what kind of a girl is Sissy? Well, I trust everybody. I believe everything I hear. For instance, even when I hear them say that you're glamorous and unpredictable and the greatest actress and the most beautiful in the world, even if I'm standing right here looking at you, I still believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the character that kills me Oh, I didn't mean it the way it came out My goodness The way I feel about you, Tallulah Even if they said you weren't the greatest actress in the world And you weren't the most beautiful I'd still believe it Well, not only does she kill me But she's determined to make it a lingering death <laughs> Now, look here, sissy I want a straight answer No evasions Do you like me or don't you like me? Yes Yes, what? Yes, Tallulah. Now, look. 
I asked you if you liked me or if you didn't like me. Now, I don't mind if you don't like me and you think I'm a big nothing, but if you'll stop being evasive and say so, you'll make me very happy. Oh. Well? You're a big nothing. <laughs> Why do you say that? Because I want you to be happy. Well, now I'm really dead. So let's get on, sissy. How do you feel about men? Well, when it comes to fellas, I'm kind of naive. <laughs> I like uh, tall blonde fellas, or short dark fellas, or tall dark fellas, or short blonde fellas. <laughs> but he must be slim or stout. <laughs> or anyways, he must be a fella. That is naive? Certainly. Well, how do you like that? I've been naive all my life, and I didn't know it. <laughs> but I'm not dumb when it comes to fellas. When a fella takes me out to dinner and a picture show and then takes me home and wants to stand around kissing for an hour or so, well, I know when to say no. And believe me, someday I'm going to say it. <laughs> well, Shirley, darling... Is this any particular fellow you're referring to? Oh, no, not too particular. He went out with me. Well, <laughs> why did you stop going out with him? Well, I can tell you in 32 bars. That's where most of the stories of this sort are told. Well, tell us about it, darling. They try to tell us we're too young. Too young. In love. They say that love's a word, a word we've only heard and can't begin to know the meaning of. Yes, that was Herman. He didn't even know the meaning of a simple word like L O V E. He didn't even know C-A-T or D-O-G. <laughs> you know, he was real S-T-O-O-P-I-D. <laughs> I said to him one day, I said, do you know the meaning of the word love? He said he never heard of it. So I said, have you ever heard of the word marriage? He said, marriage ain't a word. It's a sentence. <laughs> but... I liked him because he was so handsome. He was so tall and slim. Six foot three. <laughs> of course, he only weighed 74 pounds. <laughs> but he was so nice and so thoughtful, you know. He always went with me when I went to the dentist, just to make sure the dentist didn't pull anything. <laughs> he always shared everything with me. If he had two candy bars, he'd give me one. And when he had two apples, he gave me one. I'll never forget the time he had double pneumonia. <laughs> that was the summer we started going to the beach together. Day after day, we'd lie there in the sun, something drawing us closer and closer together. I was kind of embarrassed when I realized it was my arm. <laughs> It was then our romance fell apart. A troublemaker came and told us that we were too young. Just happened to be his wife. <laughs> but I'm going to wait for him. I'll wait even if it takes 50 years. 
That was divine, Shirley. You're wonderful, darling. Thanks. And now our darling sponsor, Reynolds Metals Company, thinks there's something else to be thankful for come Thursday. Ah, Thursday. The fine plump turkey coming out of the oven. All wrapped up in that pure aluminum foil, the original and genuine Reynolds wrap. Open up the foil and you see your turkey just almost bursting with juice. Because, of course, roasting in foil keeps all the juices in. You can actually see that you get more meat with Reynolds Wrap to prevent oven shrinkage. No basting either, no fear of burning. If you want a browner bird, just put it back in the oven for a few minutes with the foil open. That's the only oven watching you'll do with Reynolds Wrap. Yes, there's so much less work to Thanksgiving now. You prepare so many things in advance, keeping them fresh in Reynolds Wrap. Afterwards, too, you keep everything fresh as first served. What's left of the turkey going back into its foil wrapping. Every refrigerator dish with its bright Reynolds wrap cover. We do hope you'll be able to get your Reynolds wrap before Thursday. The supply is limited because military needs come first. Let this Thanksgiving be your introduction to a thousand and one kitchen miracles in the age of aluminum. Reynolds Aluminum. Now, let's see. Our next guest is... Oh, but first, I'd better see how Mrs. Goldberg is making out. Uh, are you enjoying yourself, Mrs. Goldberg? Oh, delightful, positively delightful. I can't tell you how delightful I am. <laughs> <laughs> I- I'm sitting next to Fred Allen, and he's making me laugh so much I'm expanding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Fred Allen, you're, you're a real comedian. You're funnier here than you are in person. <laughs> No, Ma, you didn't say that right. You mean he's funny in person. He's not funny here. <laughs> A new generation of critics is showing up. <laughs> well, tell us, Fred, what did you say that convulsed Mrs. Goldberg so? Oh, convulsed. That was the word I was looking for. Absolutely convulsed. <laughs> well, I was only telling Mrs. Goldberg about the air raid drill we had uh, here one night last week. And all of the neighbors in the block where I live came running into my apartment. So convulsing. Why? Why your apartment, Fred? Well, they figured that my apartment would be the safest place in town from the atom bomb. You know me lately, Fred Allen, no radioactivity. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Oh, so convulsing. (laughs) Uh, Rosalie, darling, you'll give me Mr. Webster when we get home. (laughs) Yes. And now, darling, if you don't mind, we ought to clear the stage for a brilliant star who's risen like a meteor over the Broadway scene this season. Oh, a star who has risen like a meteor over the Broadway scene? What's the matter, Molly? Uh, nothing, nothing at all. I, I just can't believe that you are talking English and I'm talking English. <laughs> There's English in English. <laughs> well, you just wait to hear this man talk and sing too, darling. Uh, no, so, so who is it already? Uh, no, it's Yul Brenner already. Oh, Yul Brenner? Yes. Ma, don't you know who he is? He's the star of The King and I, Ma. He's the King of Siam. Oh, 
the king. Why, oh, is this a show? <laughs> now we have the king of Sam, and before we had the queen of Sheba. <laughs> and I am a lady in waiting. Waiting to hear Mr. Brenner sing the song, a rhythmic spiritual, which despite its modern sound, is as deeply inspiring and reverent as the famous Shadrach, a Joshua, fit the battle of Jericho. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Yul Brenner singing Two Little Fishes and Five Loaves of Bread. Meredith Darling, if you please. A crowd of people went out in the desert to listen to what the good Lord said All the long they had the good Lord's word Then they got hungry and had to be fed All only two little fishes and on five loaves of bread The Lord's disciples began to get worried And each of them had to scratch his head But what could they do? For each one knew there was a big crowd that had to be fed All only two little fishes and five loaves of bread The good Lord stood up and told his disciples Go bring in the loaves of bread instead Bring those fishes by and let him try A little idea he had in his head About those two little fishes and five loaves of bread He broke the bread up and also the fishes and then his disciples went ahead but the more fast round the more they found with lots left over when all had been fed all only two little fish five loaves of bread Here's what I've said. He said. If we all love one another, then the world could be fed on only two little fishes and five. darling, you're divine. Come over here, let's talk, huh? Uh, you must remember that in The King and I, as the King of Siam, I have 200 wives. You couldn't possibly say anything to me that I haven't heard before. 
Oh, couldn't I, darling? But I must admit, after listening to women's voices all day long, it is a pleasant change to listen to you. I can imagine what your bathroom must look like. His and hers and hers and hers and hers and hers. Well, the worst part is walking in there every morning and having 200 pairs of wet nylon slapping me in the face. <laughs> well, how did the king ever get so many wives? Well, I don't know. I bought several. I traded a few. I picked up quite a few at an auction. I collected a dozen or so in my travels. You know how it is. Yes, I know, darling. Just like salted peanuts. <laughs> Once you get started, you can't stop. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, one I even got as a gift. Oh, really? Oh, well, you're going to be surprised this Christmas. <laughs> Uh, how do you like your wives wrapped? Oh, don't bother with the wrapping. I'll take her home now. Uh, whom did you have in mind? Me, darling. <laughs> oh. Oh, you sound disappointed. Wouldn't I make a nice Christmas gift? Well, of course, uh, I wouldn't mind having you hanging from my Christmas tree. <laughs> well, that's a nice Yule spirit. <laughs> oh, you sound bitter. Aren't you happy with your 200 wives? Have you ever given thoughts to 200 mothers-in-law? Uh, oh, you poor man. Any children? 123. Only 123? Well, we're thinking of adopting a few. <laughs> yes. A large family is nice. Especially on income tax day. Oh, you see, and Sam, the first 150 children are not deductible. Oh. Well, how old are your 150 or 23 children, or how many you have? Well, uh, the oldest are 12 years old. Oh, they are? I have a boy 12 and 14 daughters all 12. Uh, the boy's the one I'm worried about. On his 12th birthday, I gave him a wife as a birthday gift. Well, then why are you worried? He wants a pony. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, isn't 12 a little young for a wife? Oh, the wife is 24. Well, I can see you must have a load of domestic problems. You, I can imagine you coming home from a hard day at the palace, walking through the house. Hello, I'm home. Hello, girls, your husband's home. Where's everybody? Hello. Hello. Oh. I didn't see you. Hello, Jessica. Or Agatha. I mean, Bessie. My name is Tallulah. Tallulah? Have I ever had the pleasure of marrying you? We were married six years ago today. Oh, really? Well, congratulations. Uh, see you around sometime. Just a minute, Buster. Uh, King Buster, please. <laughs> we're going to celebrate our anniversary. You're taking me out to dinner. Uh, tonight? Oh, I can't. I'm having dinner with... Well, uh... break it. Oh, well, I'll see if I can. Uh, my wife won't like my going out with my wife. Break it. Well, okay, I'll knock at her door. Agatha, I'm going out with Tallulah tonight. I'll see you next time around, okay? All right, darling. Have a nice time. Molly! <laughs> I, I couldn't resist it, Tallulah. Not you! Well, why not me? A wife I can play. Jake always says I'm as much trouble as 200 wives. <laughs> well, Molly, I want you to meet Mr. Hugh Brenner. How do you do, Your Royal Excellency? <laughs> you may rise, Mrs. Goldberg. Oh, you think that's easy? <laughs> <laughs> so help me up, Rosalie, darling, while you're standing. Oh, my, he's not a real king. You don't have to curtsy. Darling, please, I'm acting. At least I, the least I could do is to, to give him the courtesy of a curtsy. <laughs> I am touched by your gesture, Mrs. Goldberg, and as a token of royal gratitude, I hereby bestow upon you two tickets to the king and I. Oh, thank you. You see, Rosalie, how it pays to be nice to people. Oh, you? Yes, Tallulah. Look at me, darling. How about two tickets for me to the king and I? I'm sorry, I have no more. 
Rosalie, why are you standing? Help me up. <laughs> now, if there's anything else I can do for you, Tallulah, I'll be glad to. Anything? Anything. Yours but to command. Okay. I'll take you at your royal word. I command you to sing a song with me. Oh, what a cue for an abdication. <laughs> All right, I'll do it. Uh, what song would you like to kill? Well, <laughs> let's destroy the peony bush. Meredith, I know you wrote it, but you just lead the band. Uh, you don't have to listen, darling. <laughs> Every rose, every tree, and every bird and bee seem to rate around a lay or two. So a slight poetic push for my favorite bush would seem to be long overdue. For the peony bush there in my garden, the baby's around to smile at you. Oh, ding as oh, ding with a fragrance perfume. I'll get pin up some fancy pots or orchids in blue. But the peony bush grew in my garden. It did the trick as great as one, two, three. Please let me decorate my garden gate forever, and never will there be any bush. But the peony bush. Oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> you, darling, I enjoyed that no end. And that's probably the way it seemed to the audience, no end. <laughs> oh, Fred. Uh, yes, Delora. I'm glad you're on the show this week. Oh, so you are the one. <laughs> No, I'm especially glad because I've just finished reading a new and exciting book called Showbiz. Oh, yes, Showbiz. It's written by Abel Green and Joe Laurie, Jr. And what a book. Fifty years of show business crammed into 613 pages. I started to read it, and then I couldn't put it down. Well, I could hardly lift it. <laughs> well, Fred, you know this period in show business better than anybody. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not all of the 50 years. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why I mention this, darling. Because we're going to dedicate the third act of the big show to showbiz. And I thought you'd help me usher the audience through this fantastic period in the American theater. Well, I've tried every other branch of show business. Now I've completed the cycle. I'm an usher. <laughs> but first, Fred, since NBC is so definitely a part of showbiz, and since this is the 25th anniversary of this darling network, we are proud of the theme song, which Meredith Wilson has written for the Silver Anniversary. Three chimes of silver. Meredith, if you please, darling. Oh, 
back in just a moment, darlings, as soon as I ring my silver anniversary chimes. Three chimes of silver. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. This is The Big Show, Act Three. This portion of The Big Show is brought to you by Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor, and Chiclets, the candy-coated gum with the flavor that won't chew out. By Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield, mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. And by Anison, for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. And now here's something of interest to you. For breathless moments, for your breathless moments. Chew dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Dentine tastes so good. Dentine freshens your breath. Dentine helps keep your teeth sparkling clean and white. Dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Before you go out and always after eating, drinking, smoking, refresh your breath with dentine. You'll love dentine chewing gum, for dentine has a wonderful tingling, nippy flavor that lingers on and on. It's delicious. And remember, dentine helps keep your teeth white, too. Keep dentine handy. You'll enjoy refreshing your breath when you chew dentine. So, for breathless moments, for your breathless moments, chew dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. And here again is Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Well, darling, it was Irving Berlin who wrote a song called There's No Business Like Show Business. Variety, a weekly trade paper known as the Bible of show business, has in the past 50 years evolved a language all its own in which it refers to show business as showbiz. This is the title of the new book written by the editor of Variety, Abel Green, and by Joe Laura Jr., what other publication but Variety would come out on that bluff day in 1929 with the now famous headline, Wall Street Lays an Egg? <laughs> picturesque language about a picturesque business. And what more picturesque gentleman to tell us about the early days of showbiz than Fred Allen? Oh, Tallulah, you make me sound like an old man. You'd think I knew Helen Twelve Trees when she was only a hedge. <laughs> You know, I've only been in show business 30-odd years. The odd years were my two years in television. <laughs> but, darling, 
You do know something about the old vaudeville days, don't you? Yes, I know about Rooney and Bent and the Garden of Eden, how it all started. When I first went into vaudeville, there were vaudeville theaters everywhere, Tallulah. No matter how small the town, it had a little vaudeville theater. I played a theater one time. It was so far back in the woods, the manager was a bear. <laughs> the bear used to pay the axe off in honey. It was nice after you'd worked for coffee and cake someplace else to play this house and get a little honey on the cake that you had with your coffee. And every summer years ago, the outdoor parks had vaudeville shows. I played a field uh, in Taunton, Mass. I think it was called Sebastia Park. There was a, a, a xylophone player on the bill. And one night while this fellow was doing his act out in the open air, woodpeckers ate two octaves off his xylophone. <laughs> this park was right near a swamp. And the first show, the matinee, I remember, I took 17 bows. And then I found out the people weren't applauding, they were slapping mosquitoes. <laughs> but luckily the noise killed the hissing, so it saved the day for me. Yes, the acts you met, not only the theaters, but the acts you met years ago in vaudeville, Tallulah, they were wonderful. You know, in Taunton, in this place I was just telling you about this park, there was a fire eater on the bill. You know, in those days, there was no heat in the theaters. Managers used to book fire eaters. Before the show, the manager would chase the fire eater up and down the aisles, and the fire eater would start breathing hard and heat up the theater. <laughs> this fire eater was the nervous type. The only fire eater I ever knew who had an ulcer. It was a pilot light. <laughs> and uh, there, years ago, there was an act called Twisto. He was a contortionist. Twisto had a most unusual act to Lou. The audience would call out letters, the ones who could speak English in the audience, would call out letters of the alphabet, A, B, or C, you know, like that. And Twisto, the contortionist, would twist himself into the shape of any letter. Well, one day, Twisto made a mess of himself. <laughs> he was so embarrassed, he quit show business. An animal act years ago on those bills. There were a million animal acts, Lindy's leopards, Max and his mongoose, Fearless LeGray. You know, LeGray used to put his head in the lion's mouth. The lion had a seven and a half mouth, fortunately, which was good for LeGray. But the lion finally died. He had dandruff in his lungs or something. <laughs> Another act I remember, Shapiro's El Elephants. Shapiro was out of work for so long one time, when he went down to get the elephants out of the barn, the elephants didn't remember Shapiro. <laughs> And Murdoch's mice. Oh, gosh. Murdoch's mice. Old man Murdoch with a very short whip. He manipulated the mice. <laughs> After doing an act with trained mice for 20 years, Murdoch broke up the act. The booking office said they wanted new faces. <laughs> but with TV booming, I think Murdoch is going to get his mouse act together again, Tallulah. I saw Murdoch coming out of a cellar yesterday morning with two pounds of cheese. I think he's casting again. <laughs> the theaters and the acts were unique. Those theatrical boarding houses we used to stop at. There was a place called uh, in Baltimore, Mrs. Sparrow's. She made the strongest coffee in the world. Mrs. Sparrow's coffee was so strong, I remember the week I was there, an old actor passed away in the boarding house uh, and he was, uh, he was awake for three days after he died. There was another boarding house in uh, Boise, Idaho. Mother Boone's, I think it was. Room and board, a dollar a day. Gosh, those meals she used to serve. For breakfast, Mother Boone would give you a club and point out some rabbit tracks. 
That was for breakfast with coffee when you got back. And the big orders, wheat cakes, they look like manhole covers. Donuts, they look like wheels with the spokes taken out. Slices of bacon so long, they look like wet skis. And the meat course was a rump roast. When you saw this rump roast on the table, instead of eating, you felt like starting a game of leapfrog. In the parlor, I remember, there was an old actor's boarding house. There was an old actor's boarding house in Nevada, some town. They had an Indian sitting in every room. In the single, in the double rooms, there were two Indians. If it got cold, if it got cold during the night, you got up and took another blanket off the Indian. At this place, uh, downstairs in, the, in, the, in this boarding house, they had a snack bar. They used to serve an individual deer to each guest. The head was still on the deer, and you could hang your hat on the antlers while you were eating farther back on the deer. <laughs> in the Detroit, I remember in showbiz in the book, it'll probably tell you there was an actor's hotel. The house detective had a glass eye there. If you were sitting in your room and heard something clinking, you knew the house detective was looking through the keyhole. <laughs> I used to cry putty, this man with the glass eye. Well, that's the hotel where the sword swallower was out of work for three years when I was there and finally got an emergency job, a club date. He borrowed my tuxedo. Well, a sword swallower started his act at the club. He swallowed a long sword and he heard some applause. Well, he hadn't worked for so long. He got excited uh, with the sword in his stomach, took a bow and ruined my tuxedo. <laughs> Well, Tillou, those are just a few of the things I remember from vaudeville. Well, Fred, darling, didn't you and Portland do an act together? Yes, I'm sorry we got that applause. I was going to remember some old applause I got years ago <laughs> and used that tonight, but it's just still there. But we, uh, Portland and I, did do an act to Lula, and I don't have to think back to remember Portland because this is Portland right here. <laughs> I'm glad you told me. I should have remembered some applause for Portland, too. It would have helped out there. Well, darling, oh. now where am I, Fred? Uh, oh, right Portland, I was just asking Fred about your vaudeville act. Well, that was before you were taught, Miss Frankhead. Nothing was before my time, darling. <laughs> I came first, then came Big Ben. <laughs> that act that Portland and I did that you mentioned uh, to Lula, I'm afraid that would be sort of a museum piece today. What was it like? Well, as I remember, to open the act, I sang a ballad. What was the, the name of that ballad, Portland? If I had the tears that I cried over you, I could open a small canal. That's right. That was the opening song. I sang that with a blonde wig on, and then I took my wig off and surprised everybody. And then Portland came on, mincing, and said... Pardon me. And then I'd say, you're not Joan of Arc by any chance, are you? No. That's funny. I smell a horse around here someplace. <laughs> well, Mama says we all make mistakes, and that's why trains stop at Reno. Your mother says that? Mama mm -hmm. says... Footprints on the sands of time are not made sitting down. Uh-huh. Mom, Mama says fun is like insurance. The older you get, the more it costs. Uh-huh. Your mother never worked under the name of Confucius years ago. <laughs> Mama says 
a wife's job suffers more from competition than any other job in the world. Well, your mother talks too much. Oh, Papa says Mama never talked until after she was married. Oh, really? Who was your mother before she was married? Well, she wasn't my mother before she was married. Now, wait a minute. Now, look. Look. Why don't you go home? Your mother may have laryngitis, and she may be calling you, and you can't hear her from here. Well, Mama wants me to go on the stage. Oh, really? What could you do on the stage? Mm, I can tell riddles. Riddles? Really? Riddles? Where does your lap go when you stand up? Oh, I don't know. Where does your lap go when you stand up? It runs around behind you and shows up under another name. Oh, now, wait. (laughs) Wait a minute. Let's rest on our laurel. so skimpy. I would like to lean back on it just for a second. What is the difference between electricity and lightning? The difference between electricity and lightning what? You don't have to pay for lightning. (laughs) Well, what's so funny? Oh, I'm a ball of fire tonight. (laughs) To you, you are a ball of fire. To me, you are a clinker in the making. Now, look, Portland, forget. You say you don't have to pay lightning. You pay them on the Amos and Andy show, lightning gets paid. But forget about... Oh, yes, at a time like this, anyway. Forget about the... Forget about... I hate to be drowning and have somebody throw me a line like that. Well, forget about the stage. Forget about the stage, Portland. You'd better go back to school. Oh, I can't. I flunked geography. Flunked? One question was, what is the Matterhorn? What is the Matterhorn? Well, what was your answer? The Matterhorn is the horn the natives blow in a small Swiss village when something is the matter. Uh, Are you going now? Well, you know what George M. Cohan said. What? If you can't leave them laughing, at least leave them. A good idea. Well, there you are, Tallulah. That was part of our old vaudeville act. And now, now you know how radio got started. Now here's an old friend, Bing Crosby, sounding off for Chesterfield. Take a tip from Brother Bing Get on the ball, get in the swing Chesterfield is on the move With something smokers all approve Mildness plus, no aftertaste Mildness plus, no aftertaste No unpleasant aftertaste in Chesterfield That's right From Florida to Oregon Chesterfield salesmen are on the run Bringing dealers fresh supplies Of the smoke that satisfies Chesterfield 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 Milder, 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 milder Chesterfield That's right Yes, Chesterfield is the smoke for you They're milder, better tasting too Chesterfield now sets the pace With no unpleasant aftertaste So here's what we want you to do Right now Yes, here's what we want you to do Right now Sound off For Chesterfield Sound off For Chesterfield Try a pack of Chesterfields Do it Today In presenting a panorama of showbiz of the past 50 years, the names of Dick Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein will certainly be near the top. This also holds true of a Broadway success of theirs, Carousel, which ran for 890 performances, one of the longest-run musicals in the history of Broadway. From Carousel, 
the song, You'll Never Walk Alone. Meredith, darling, if you please. Thank you, darling. 
I read now from page 45 of Showbiz, and I quote, one of the biggest vogues of vaudeville at its height just before World War I was the School Days Act. Of all the School Days Acts, Gus Edwards was preeminent, both by reason of his renown as a songwriter and his shrewd choice of talented small fry, who included Georgia Jessel, Georgia Price, Lila Lee, Eleanor Powell, Groucho Marx, the Duncan Sisters, Ricardo Cortez, Walter Winchell, Mae Murray, Ray Bolger, Eddie Cantor, Helen Minken, Bert Wheeler, and Jack Pearl. <laughs> I mentioned Jack Pearl last because I would like to add that this is the same Jack Pearl who a few years later, as the Baron, was to make radio history and a variety headline by going in five short months from $3,500 a week to $8,500 a week. His Bus You Dare, Charlie, became a national household word. Charlie was Cliff Hall. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, still going strong, Jack Pearl and Cliff Hall. Well, I'm delighted to see you. Well, My I... goodness. What's the matter with you? You look so tired now. What's oh, the trouble? Well, I, Charlie, I work like a horse now. You, you do, really? I work like a horse. I, I'm working now in the war factory. Is that so? I work 16 hours a day. 16 hours? <laughs> My goodness. I belong to two unions. Oh, two yeah. unions. <laughs> I work like a hunt. You're working in yes. an ammunition factory? Yeah, I clean out the inside of cannons. I see. You see? And I smooth them out. Yeah. Well, the other day I was working so hard, it was my 12th hour, uh -huh. and I fell asleep. Yeah. And while I was sleeping, they came along and tested the cannon. Wait a minute. You mean, I give you you mean to say you fell asleep inside the cannon? Yeah. And while you were in there, they tested the cannon? Yeah. Well, what happened to you? <laughs> I was fired. Oh, God. <laughs> I haven't seen you in over a year. They tell me you've been traveling, too. Is I that was right? all over the world. All over the world. All over the whole world. Is that so? Where yeah. about? Where? Well, I was in London. Mm -hmm. I was in Paris. Yeah. I was in Rome. Uh -huh. Then I was in Venice. You were where? In Venice. No, no, no. You mean Venice. Venice, yeah. No, no, no. Venice. Ben. Ben. Last month. Last month. <laughs> When, uh, when, you were in Venice, when you were in Venice, did you see the gondolas? I, I was coming for... I didn't get you. I say, when, you, when you were in Venice, did you see the gondolas? No. <laughs> I called them up. They wasn't home. Well, no. I wasn't home. I tell you, they wasn't home. Well, from there, I went to Singapore. Singapore? Yeah, I went to Singapore. What did you go to Singapore for? I'm, uh, I went to look for singers. Singers in Singapore? Yeah. I'm, what, I'm, what did you want singers for? I'm, I'm producing an opera. You're producing an opera? Didn't you know? Charlie, I can't imagine you producing an Charlie, opera. Charlie, I was born in an opera house. You were born? I was born, I was born in the Milan Opera House. Oh, go on. You I, were born in the Milan Opera House? Oh, that was very embarrassing. <laughs> why, why, why was it so embarrassing? I didn't have a ticket. I didn't have a ticket. Lies, lies. Look, Baron, what, what is going to happen to you if you keep on lying like this? Well, sooner or later, they send me to Congress. Yeah, well, I... <laughs> Tell me more about your opera. Oh, listen, Charlie, I must tell you something. Yeah. The first thing I want, yeah. the first thing I want is a, is a good uh, man singer. Oh, well, that's very important, yeah. a good male. Oh, say, by the way, why don't you get, why don't you try to get the former star of South Pacific? Oh, yeah, he's good. He's oh, you, good. you know who that is, huh? Sure. Who is it? <laughs> General MacArthur. General oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, no, I'm tired of your adventures. Come on, tell me, tell me about your family. How is your family? Now? Oh, Charlie, my whole family is... Charlie, I must tell you a story with my son. This is a story. This is the true story, so true that I'm here. My son, August. Oh, you mean Gus, huh? Yeah, yeah. Who? Gus. 
No, no, August. Well, I call him August for short. All well, right, anyhow, listen, listen, Charlie, you got to hear them. Yeah. The other day I was coming home, you know, I was in, in, uh, in my, uh, you know, in my yeah. house. Yeah. And, and August comes in. Yeah. He comes over and he says to me, Papa. Oh, he, he called you Papa? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I come home once in a while. Well, sure. <laughs> He says to me, Papa, yes. he says, I want you should come in school. Yes. Well, I'm in my room where I was sleeping. Oh, you were in your boudoir. So I'm coming for one and... <laughs> <laughs> what was the crack? <laughs> I say, you were in your boudoir. No, what? <laughs> I was in my pajamas. Go with it. No. So I'm in my pajamas, you yeah. see? When he comes in, yeah. I say to him, uh, what is it, August? He says, Papa, he says, the teacher wants you should come in school. Uh -huh. I said, August, you was dead. Tell Papa you slapped the butt of the oh, nose. wait, wait a minute. You, you wouldn't strike your own child. Oh, I never hit my son. Never hit your oh. son. <laughs> Only in self-defense. Oh, no. <laughs> so I say to him, August, you was dead. Yeah. He says, no, Papa, but the teacher wants you should come in school. I see. Well, to make a long story sooner, <laughs> I go in the school room. You see, I go in the school room, and I sit way in the back. Yeah. The last row was this. <laughs> the last what? The last row. The, la the last row. The last row. Huh? Row. Yeah. I was born someplace else. Well, <laughs> I'm sitting in the last row. Yes. Well, the teacher comes in with a statue of the woman without the hands. Oh, well, the Venus de Milo. You ever see that one? Oh, yes, I've Well, seen she it. brings that in. Yeah. Well, she looks over the school room. Yeah. She says, um, good morning, boobles. Oh, and the no. boobles says, wait, wait a minute. Good, good morning, what? She says, good morning, boobles. No, no. You mean she, she said, good morning, pupils. It's pew. Pupil. Yeah. She says, good morning, scholars. Scholars. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the scholar says, good morning, teacher. Yes. She says, today we're going to have a study on what part of the statue you children select the best. I see. Well, she calls them one little boy. A little boy by the name of Abraham. Abraham, the son of Tara. So she calls... No. <laughs> <laughs> Abraham, the son of Ginsburg. Oh, <laughs> Abraham says, what part of the statue you like the best? Yes. Well, Abraham got up. He says, teacher, he says, I like the shoulder. She says, you bad kids, take your head, go out from the school, you hear that? Yeah. Take your head, go out. And so he goes out. He exits. So she comes from, not, I didn't get you. <laughs> I say, he exits. Yeah, <laughs> he exists. So no, he exits. No, no, no. To, to exist is to live, to exit is to go out. Yeah, <laughs> he lives to go out. He lives to go out. <laughs> and he lives to go out. Yeah. Now she calls in another little boy. A little boy by the name of... Uh, I know it so well, I forgot it. Well, wait a minute. Perhaps uh, I can help you out. What, uh, what letter of the alphabet does the boy's name begin with? Begins with a Z. With a Z? Mm. Well, that should be easy. There aren't many names beginning with Z. No, he only needs one. Only know. one, yeah. He's well, got one Z. name. Zebra. No, no. Zodiac. No, no. Zabisco. <laughs> this is a boy, not a cracker. Not a cracker. No. <laughs> no, 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 not Z like you said. Oh, no? No, no. I mean like A, 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 A B, B. Z. Oh, C. Z. Z. Uh, no. Clarence. I got it. You got it? What is it? Joseph. Joseph. He says, what part of the station do you like the best? Yeah. When Joseph got up, he says, teacher, he says, I like the hubs. You like the what? The hubs. The hips. <laughs> I could never say hips. <laughs> you just said it. Who did? You did. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> my own fault. Yeah, <laughs> she says, take your head, go out from the school. Yeah. And so she calls on another little boy. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> who was it? Who do you think it was? I haven't the least idea. Who was it? My son, August. Oh, oh your, your little offspring. So, no. No. <laughs> he was born in the summer. No. <laughs>
it is. What part of the stash do you like the best? Yeah. Well, I was... <laughs> oh, come on, come on. <laughs> That's serious. I tell you, he's too smart to live. He's too smart to live. <laughs> I'll kill him in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He said, what part do you like to be? Well, August got up. His... <laughs> well, what did he say? Come on, hurry up. <laughs> Give me my hat. Give me your hat. <laughs> if you suffer from pains of headaches, neuritis, or neuralgia, you should discover what many thousands have known for years, that Anison brings incredibly fast, effective relief. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Probably at some time you have received an envelope containing Anison tablets from your physician or dentist. Thousands of people have been introduced to Anison this way. Try Anison yourself the next time you suffer from the pains of a headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. You'll be delighted at how quickly relief can come. Anison is spelled A-N-A-C-I-N. Your druggist has Anison in handy boxes of 12 and 30 tablets and economical family-sized bottles of 50 and 100 for your medicine cabinet. Ask for Anison today. And now, darling, that we've let you in a little on the inside of showbiz, we're going to go one step further and let you listen to our guests say goodnight when they're playing in themselves rather than the characters they have made famous. Good night, Molly Goldberg, or should I say Gertrude Bird. Good night, Tallulah. This has been a great pleasure appearing on your show, and I hope to see you again real soon. Thank you, Gertrude. And how about Rosalie? Has she made up her mind yet to become a great actress? No, Rosalie Goldberg will never become an actress. But uh, Arlene McQuaid, who plays Rosie, is already a very great and talented actress, I think. Indeed, she is, Molly. Good night, Arlene. Good night, Miss Banker. Well, come, Rosalie, please. Papa's waiting home for supper. I left him in a little pot, but we have to go home and boil him. <laughs> right, Mom, coming. Well, so long, Tallulah. Oh, good night, you, darling. Tallulah, if you know of anybody who needs a wife, send them to me. Uh, remember, I can get you to you wholesale. <laughs> Maxine Sullivan, it was wonderful having you with us. And I want you back soon. Luckily, you have only one voice, but what a voice. Always beautiful. Thank you, Tallulah. And you have a beautiful voice, too. Oh, you will be back soon. <laughs> well, Tallulah, the evening has been delightful. Thank you. Good night, Jack Quill. I'd like to stick around and chat with you after the show, but, you know, I've got to rush home to my 200 wives. <laughs> oh, you haven't got 200 wives. <laughs> What's you there, Tallulah? <laughs> <laughs> no. Also, I've got to go home to my 300 wives. Coming, Charlie? Good night, Tallulah. Good night, darling. See you soon, Cliff Hall. Fred Allen, you're next. Good night, Tallulah. Oh, now, Fred, that's not your regular voice. No, it's yours. <laughs> I thought I'd borrow it to get a laugh, Tallulah. <laughs> Fred, aren't you coming? Who are you talking to? Who knows? One of the acts on the bill. I think she's a fire eater. <laughs> Good night, Tallulah. <laughs> Good night, Tallulah. Good night, darling. Good night, and now, finally, oh... Good night, Tallulah. Good night, Shirley, darling. And the best of luck. Come back again, little Shirley. Any voice at all? I'll certainly try. But, Tulula, we've all been revealing our true voices. How about you saying something in your real voice? My real voice? You want to hear me say something in my real voice? Why, honey, if I did, you wouldn't understand a word I said. <laughs> so, darling, that's why I say in my regular Sunday night voice that our time is about up tonight. Oh, yes. 
If you happen to get a copy of Look Magazine, you might be interested in an article about Southern women on which I wrote my comments in my best Southern voice. <laughs> that is, if you can read between the Mason-Dixon lines. <laughs> and do try to be with us next week when our guests will be Dane Clark, Mary McCarty, George Sanders, Martha Scott, Martha Wright, and others, and of course, our very own Meredith Wilson and the Big Show Orchestra and Chorus. Until then, may the good Lord bless and keep you whether near or far away, Maxine. May you find that long-awaited golden day today, Jack. May your troubles all be small ones and your fortune ten times ten. Fred. May the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet again, Portland. Walk with sunlight shining And a bluebird in every tree Rosalie May there be a silver lining Back of every cloud you see Cliff Fill your dreams with sweet tomorrows Never mind what might have been You'll May the good Lord bless and keep you Till we meet again. May you long recall each rainbow, then you'll soon forget the rain. Molly? May the warm and tender memories be the ones that will remain. Fill your dreams with sweet tomorrow. May the good Lord bless and keep you until we meet again. May the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet, till we meet again. And God speed to our armed forces everywhere. Happy Thanksgiving, and good night, darlings. This portion of the big show has been brought to you by Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor, and Chiclets, the candy-coated gum with a flavor that won't chew out. By Chesterfield, sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness, plus no unpleasant aftertaste. And by Anison, for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. The first half hour of The Big Show each week is presented by the makers of Reynolds Aluminum, the Reynolds Metals Company. The Big Show is produced and directed by D. Engelbach and written by Goodman Ace, Selma Diamond, George Foster, Mort Green, and Joel Murcott. The chorus is directed by Ray Charles. Special musical arrangements by Sidney Fine, Earl Lawrence, and Phil Moore. This is Ed Hurley. He's saying goodnight. Enjoy mirth and music with Phil Harris and Alice Faye, next on NBC.